Good morning. It's so good to be here with you guys today. Yes, uh, that color run yesterday was something. I, I don't know what to say about that. I went in with gray shoes. They were pretty clean and pretty nice, and they are bright green now forever. I don't think it's ever coming out. I don't know what to do about that. But we're really glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, welcome to Kingsway. If you're visiting online, we want to just welcome you and include you in what we're doing. And so thanks for joining us, whether it's now or down the road or whatever. And I pray today you're encouraged and challenged. Recently, I got a Christmas gift. It was for a, a water pick. You know what those things are, like the water toothbrush or floss thing? Yeah. But my dentist told me, hey, if you're going to get one of those, make sure you get the kind you install in the shower. And boy, was he right. Because when they hit like your teeth, they just spray all over the place. So I had it sitting there on my bathroom sink for about nine months because I didn't exactly know how to install it. I'm not exactly the most handy guy in the world. And apparently some of my friends like Nate Mishler and, and Steve Rowe don't want to drop everything they're doing to come and fix my problems all the time. So I finally got up the gumption and my wife bugged me enough that I finally put this thing up. And I put it up and I, something wasn't working because when you would turn it on, water would just come squirting out the top where you connected it to the shower. It would just literally like spray all over the place. So that wasn't good. So I had to take it all apart. That took me another couple of weeks because I was intimidated. How am I gonna fix this? I finally got it down and I found out the problem. The problem was I didn't have a big enough wrench. I needed a bigger wrench. I needed a longer wrench. I needed something with more torque. That's called leverage. I finally took the thing down. I put it back up. I got the bigger wrench on. I'm like cranking on that bad boy. I got it tight enough that it sealed that in a little bit of tape this time, helped me actually seal it. And that's the benefit to leverage. What leverage is, is when you, a lot of times when you gain length, you gain leverage. This is why if you take a small hand trowel out to dig a big hole, it's gonna take a while. But if you get a shovel with a long handle, you can get more Say it with me, leverage. You can lift more, you can do more, you can accomplish more because you're playing the long game. That's the whole point there. So with that concept in mind, leverage literally just means to use something to its maximum advantage. That's what you're doing. So the little, at the end of a shovel, so to speak, you take that little thing right there, the whole point is that long handle allows you to use that shovel to its maximum advantage. And that's what we're talking about. How do we leverage the things of this world to their maximum advantage? So let's bring up the speed. In case you're visiting with us or checking us out online, you just happen to grab this message out of all of them. Let me just bring up the speed real quick. We started with this in the first week. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says this. Then Jesus told them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In other words, not everything in this world more is better. Are you with me? So with a wrench, more is better. With a shovel, more is better. When it comes to stuff, more is not better. It's the wrong area to have leverage in. We want to have less of things and more of something else. And that is what I said is generosity. And what I said the first week is giving is the antidote, the antidote to greed. It's as if greed is a poison or a toxin that's eating away at your body. And giving is the thing, the antitoxin to that thing that is killing you or destroying you. 
Now, last week was one of the hardest messages I've ever preached. I was really anxious about it, in part because I was doing a lot of studying at a weak time to make sure I had my head theologically wrapped around a subject to give to you. And I don't know, I kept hearing from people. They were encouraged, they were challenged, they were blessed. And a lot of people had a lot of great lunch conversations. I ran into one Kingsway family all the way over in Plainfield, all the way over, right? Like we're like in another state. But... When you live a mile from the church like I do, all the way over at Plainfield, I took my boys over there. We grabbed noodles and company and ran into a family. They're like, we're about to sit down and have a serious talk about what you talked about today. And I was like, well, I'm with my two boys and we're not. So <laughs> have fun. Last week was good, but it was hard. Because basically what I said last week, in case you weren't here, because I'm going to set this up for the rest of what we're talking about today, is at the last breath for all of us, there is a judgment day coming and it's going to happen to all of us. And those who love Jesus will be with God forever. And those who don't love Jesus will not be with God forever. That is what we call the first judgment. Now, I don't know if there's one judgment or two. There seem to be passages in the Bible that say there's two judgments. And there seem to be passages in the Bible that say that's all part of the one judgment. But at some point, all of our lives are laid bare. Everything we've done, the secret things, the public things, all of it is laid bare. And all of it is evaluated. And all of it is judged. Now, whether you're in or out has everything to do with Jesus. But then what happens for eternity is based off what you do here with the amount of time and the amount of resources that you've been given. And we have story after story after story after story after story where Jesus seems to say this over and over and over again. And it's called his reward, the reward of God. Because somehow our responsibility in eternity is connected to our faithfulness here. So if you're trustworthy with a few things here, you can be trusted with a lot of things there. And that's just a principle in life, isn't it? I mean, if you work at a company or you own a company or whatever it is, don't you give more responsibility to those who've proven to be trustworthy with the little you've given them? And don't you take responsibility away from those who are not faithful to the responsibilities you've given them? And all of us are going to be held accountable only to the responsibilities that we've been given. And Jesus goes on, and building on this generosity thing, he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And what was popular in that day is it was commanded that you would give alms to the poor. And so it was popular to take those and go, oh, look, you are in need I'm going to give you money now. And you'd say it really loud and you'd make these large displays and you'd give people help and everybody would know and they'd go, oh, isn't that a generous person? And it's not dramatically different today, is it? It's just that instead of yelling it out loud on the streets where your neighbors are like, what's our crazy neighbor yelling about again? We put it on Instagram, we put it on Twitter, we put it on TikTok, we put it on YouTube, we put it on Facebook. It is the thing we love to look how great I look how awesome we are. And the Bible says, Jesus says, don't do that. If you do that, you've received your entire reward. Then he goes on, he says, but when you do give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And, and what he's saying is, it's not like, again, Yoda here, right? Jesus being great Yoda. It's not like he's like, ooh, maybe you could trick your left hand. No, no, this has to do with not doing things so other people will know. You're not doing it for credit. You're not doing it for a pat on the back. You're doing it only for the pleasure of your heavenly father. It's a big deal. So that your giving may be in secret, he says. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. In other words, God's watching. 
as I open up Facebook Marketplace at times, because I like to sell stuff, buy stuff, resell stuff, there's this sticker or magnet that goes like on a refrigerator. I don't know if you've seen it. And it's got a little picture of that old school, like Jesus flannel graph from back in the 70s. And he's leaning to the side and he's like, I saw that. Nobody thought that was funny. Nobody wants to buy one of those, right? You want to, you want to keep your kids out of trouble, just put that, right? Like on the computer screen or on the TV screen or wherever, right? Put it on the bathroom mirror. I saw that. Well, the whole idea is God is actually watching. He's actually taking note on your life. And with Christ, all of our righteous deeds are rewarded in eternity. Again, every evil thing you do when you have Jesus is washed in the blood of Jesus. It's literally washed away. But every good thing you do is taken noted for eternity, which brings us to today. Jesus, one day, he's teaching, and he likes to go toe-to-toe with the religious in his day because the religious in his day love to look the part and not act the part. Their heart is messed up even if their actions just happen to be right. In fact, at one point, speaking of the Pharisees, Jesus says, if you wanna get into heaven, you're gonna have to be better than them. And everybody was like, who's better than them? Nobody practices the law. Nobody gets it right more than them. And that's part of Jesus' point. The point isn't that you have to be more righteous than the Pharisees. The point is nobody is righteous enough. You need a savior. But he likes to go toe-to-toe with these guys because they've got all the outward displays of religion, but the inward heart is missing. And in Mark chapter 12, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes. So what is a flowing robe? It's a religious garment. It's expensive, but it looks like they're playing the part. When everybody looks at them, they're gonna go, well, that's a religious man. They've got flowing robes, and they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Oh, they just love the positions of power and prominence bring them. And have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses for show and make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And you wonder why they crucified him not too much longer, right? Jesus was constantly challenging the elites of his day. They looked apart. They've got lots of money. They've got lots of power. They've got lots of influence. Everybody wants these guys on their team. Not me. Jesus says, not me. I don't want them on my team because they aren't on my team. They're on their own team. They're building their own kingdom. They're more concerned about themselves than anybody else. And that whole part about devouring widows' houses. At one point, Jesus rebukes these guys specifically. And he says, you are so careful to tithe in your garden. A tithe, back in the Old Testament, was 10%, 10% of everything you got. So if you're an agricultural society and you get mint or cumin, it doesn't matter what it is. If you were to get wheat or whatever it is, you were to take a 10% of that and bring it to the Levites, the priests, for them to use. That was how they ate. They didn't have jobs. Their job was to serve the people on behalf of God. And he says, you Pharisees, you're so careful to tithe everything you get, everything you got. You're so careful to tithe on it, but you forget the more important things like justice and mercy. And Jesus is saying something similar again. He's like, you... Devour widows' houses while looking like you're playing the part. You don't 
care about those who are hurting. You care only about yourselves. Watch out. Watch out. Because greed tempts us to look out for ourselves and forget God is watching. All right, this is self-evaluation time. So my guess is in a series like this, we've lost some people over the last three weeks. We'll pick them back up in a week or two. Like when we start talking about like uh, parents next week, you know, or we start talking about our um, asking for a friend series after that. Like when we start talking about those fun subjects again, we'll see attendance go up a little bit. But this series like, eh, I'm gonna sleep through the next two, right? We'll just make sure the leverage is done. But this one's hard. And we don't want to avoid hard things, right? We did a 360 review recently here at the church. This is where the executive team, myself and Ben and Brett, we got feedback from the staff about how awesome we are. And what we found is, or what I found is, I wasn't as awesome as I'd hoped that I was. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm not perfect. Now, don't tell my kids because they don't know yet. But when I got that feedback, my first response was, yeah, but, yeah, but, I didn't, I didn't. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? You ever have a come to Jesus talk with your spouse and they let you know some things they need you to do differently around the home and in the family and you think to yourself, but if you knew how busy I was and how tired I was and how stressed I was, and they said, yeah, yeah, me too, right? And you're like, it's never fun to hear that. That's how we want to approach God's word. Okay, I don't want to hear this. I know it's not fun. I may not like it, but God, I know you're for me. God, I know you love me. And God, I know you're going to speak every truth into my life that I need to hear whether I want to hear it or not. Here's the next thing Jesus does. He walks into the synagogue and it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd, putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Now let's just stop there for a second. The way this would work is they would have some sort of bag or something with the money in it, coins. And they'd come walking in. And what happens when you hear coins together? Ching. It was the original, cha-ching. And they're walking in, cha-ching, cha-ching. And they got this box there. And these guys walk in and it's like, wow. And maybe they dumped it out. Look around. They're flowing robes and bow ties. And they think to themselves, I just gave all of this money to God. And everybody's going, that is a generous person. Well done. But a poor widow came in and she put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And the natural response of everybody is, look how little she put it. Look how little she gave compared to them. Calling his disciples. Peter, come here, come here. Andrew, come here. John, James, I gotta tell you something. Come here, come here. Jesus said, truly I tell you. Did you see that? Did you see that? This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. The one who got commended was not the one who gave tons of money. That's so backwards from our culture, isn't it? Yesterday was, actually this weekend, twice, um, was walking around. I went with my little guy on Friday to Turkey Run. Just love that place. We hiked around, just enjoyed Turkey Run together. And there were all these places with all these benches where people wanted to leave an honor to somebody else. 
So instead of just building a bench or giving them money or helping people out, they, they put their name on it because they want everybody to know who gave it or who it was for or who it was in honor of. And I'm not saying that's an evil thing, but this is kind of the point of what Jesus is trying to get to. When we do things for the credit, when we do things for the glory, when we do things for the pat on the back, we're actually missing out on the reason God blessed us in the first place, which is just to take part in his awesome work in the world. Are you with me? And this widow, nobody's paying attention to her. She's insignificant. She has no real amount of money to give at all. She walks in and plunk, plunk. She was probably embarrassed, ashamed. Women in that culture would not have really owned businesses. They wouldn't have had opportunities to make money. Whatever exactly it is she put in there, again, the fact that she's a widow tells us her husband is not around. Perhaps husbands. Maybe she's had more than one die. We don't know if she has any kids. We aren't told a lot about her story. I need more information, Jesus. We aren't told more information. All we're told by Jesus is that her sacrifice was worthy of Jesus commending her. See, giving is the antidote to greed, but only when it's connected to the glory of God. Am I giving for the pat on the back? Am I giving so other people will see and notice? Or am I giving in a way that moves God's kingdom forward? And there's lots of ways to do that. But am I giving in order to advance God's kingdom on this earth? Every good thing we do will only Slow down death so much. But do it anyway. Every single person Jesus healed died. I've joked about this before, but have you noticed there's no perfectly seeing people walking around who are 2,000 years old going, Jesus healed my eyes, I just can't die. Every person Jesus blessed eventually ended in death. Every good thing you give to will eventually die. Every good thing, every organization, every ministry, every pastor, every missionary, every uh, cancer fund, everything you give to eventually go away and the people you helped will eventually also. And so when we give, let's make sure the things we're giving to lead people, build bridges to people so that on the last day, they continue on forever. Are you with me? No, we'll talk. Let's talk realistically, very practically about how do we do that? I've come to some conclusions and convictions that are my own. If you come to different conclusions and different convictions, that's fine. You're not going to stand before Matt Nickerson. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ on the last day. So you come to your convictions, but I wanted to share with you some of my convictions and why I came to those convictions. There's this passage in the Old Testament. Before we get there, don't put it up yet. Before we get there, I want to put context to it. This is Old Testament. That means it's Old Covenant. Meaning, the question that comes up always is, does this apply today? Is this still true today? And I believe it's at least true in principle, but not true as a command. And there is a difference between those two things. Now, this will get right to the heart of the question we saw in the last lady's story. If this lady gave her last two copper coins, how do we know she had food to go home to? How do we know she went home and ate? How do we know she was taken care of? And we aren't given exactly those answers, but we are to some extent given those answers in the Old Testament in passages just like this. So here's 
one of the passages. Malachi chapter three, verse 10. It says this. This is God speaking. In the book of Malachi is God rebuking the Israelites for the way they have not fulfilled the covenant. And he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Before we go to the second part, obviously you could keep reading and not listen, but let me unpack that in case you don't have an Old Testament background and what in the world is going on. So the storehouse was a place where when the people brought in their agricultural tithes and their animal tithes, it would be kept there for the Levites. The Levites were the tribe, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The Levites weren't allowed to own land. They didn't have everyday jobs. Their everyday job was to serve in the temple. They served the people. And the way that they ate and the way that they fed their families and the way that they cared for the ministries and the services of the temple was the people came in and brought in the tithe. And this is what God is saying. You've been cheating me. I specifically kept one of those 12 tribes. They don't own land in, in Canaan in the promised land. They don't have that. So I've intentionally set that aside. And my system for providing for them is they would be dedicated to serving you. However, you would take care of them. And so he's saying, test me in this. If you don't believe me, just bring it all in. Just bring it back in and we'll see what happens. We'll see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. This is the only place in the entire Bible where God says, test me. In fact, when Jesus is tempted, he specifically says back to Satan in Luke chapter four, God says not to test him. This is the only time God says, trust me, test me, and let's see what happens. Recently, a dear uh, friend of mine uh, was convicted by this leverage series and said, I'm going to increase my giving to represent a tithe. And then made sure to send me a follow-up message and went, oh my goodness, this is like the first time ever I had money left in my bank account before my next paycheck came in and I can't explain it. And was celebrating like, this is awesome. And my response is the same to them as it is to you. I hear the same story over and over and over and over again and I can't explain it. It makes no sense to me. Years ago, in my second year of marriage, when I didn't want to give a tithe, I learned this principle. And the principle is 10% with God goes further than 100% without. And it doesn't make sense. But I think there's two things going on. Number one is very practical. You can explain it and I can explain it. If you're going to give 10% of your money away, you got to figure out what you're doing with the other 90%. So it forces you to build a plan. This is why we're offering Financial Peace University. And I highly recommend, I'm, I talked with some young couples this week and they told me, oh yeah, we kept hearing about that. We keep thinking we should do that. Like, don't sit around and think I should do that. <laughs> you need to build a plan so that you know what you're doing. But the other thing that happens is we activate heaven. In some way, in some fashion, we, we open ourselves up to trusting God to take care of us. It's like, okay, God, now, you may say, and let me just address this. I've done this before. But there are some out there who, who study their Bible and they say, look, tell me where in the New Testament we see a tithe. And what I would say is this. We see it consistently from beginning to end. Consistently from beginning. Before the law, Abraham tithed on the spoils of war to a guy named Melchizedek. If you don't know that story, don't worry about it. But that, the whole point is, this was before the law came about. 
When Jesus affirms, as I already said earlier, when he looks at the Pharisees and said, you should have tithed on everything, but you shouldn't have forgotten the more important things like justice and mercy. When Jesus said that, he affirmed it. When Paul, throughout his books, like in Corinthians and even in Timothy, I believe, when he quotes on giving generously to the church, he actually goes back into the Old Testament law and quotes the text on the tithe and says the same things those say. He doesn't actually use the word tithe. Now, the point is, whether you land at 10% or more, I want you to get God's heartbeat. God's heartbeat is when you trust me, I will come through. And I'm afraid that some of you are so holding tightly. It's like using a small wrench to try to figure life out. And no matter how much torque you put on that thing, you just can't seem to turn the knob. That's my suggestion is maybe you need a longer wrench. You don't need to accumulate a nicer car. You don't need to accumulate a bigger house. I am constantly talking young couples out of buying a bigger house. You don't need a bigger house. I am constantly talking people out of buying more clothes and shoes and purses and golf clubs because you don't need more of that. You need more of the things that are gonna last for eternity. And by the way, money isn't gonna last for eternity. What's the only thing that lasts for eternity? People. So where I've landed, because I told you, I'm gonna share with you where I landed. My wife and I are convicted to give the first 10% of everything we get, everything, Stuff I sell on Facebook, Christmas money, birthday money, everything we get, the first 10%, both for us and for our kids, immediately goes into God's church here at Kingsway. If we get money above that and beyond that, then we start looking at other missionaries, pastors, ministries, people in need. I've told you this before, and so many people have taken me up on it, so I'm just going to keep saying it in case some of you have never heard it. We started years ago something called a gift fund. So a percentage of every paycheck I get goes into this gift fund and we have so much fun with it. Right now it's at zero because we've had too much fun with it. I think it's in the negatives because we just love to do stuff. And when we get money in that gift fund, it's just our chance to bless people. So we can pay somebody's rent or we can help somebody with a car payment or we can buy somebody a meal. We're often buying meals for people who are just going through a hard time. Sometimes people go through a hard time and we just reach out like, hey, can we just bring you a meal? Guess where that money comes from? It comes from the gift fund. It's one of the greatest things we've ever done. Now I told you our goal is to get to 25% in generosity, because I don't want to stop at just simply the tithe. If you were to count up all of the Old Testament tithes and put them onto like a, a spreadsheet, like you're a CPA, it would be somewhere in the range of 23 to 26%, somewhere in that ballpark they gave. And the thing is, sometimes they gave it and they had a big party. Like on the third year of every seven-year cycle in the Old Testament, they were to bring in a tithe and they would just throw a big party and everybody got to eat. The Levites got to eat, all the people got to eat, and they just threw a big party with all the stuff that God has blessed them with. So it's okay to party with your resources. Invite others to the party. Have a great time. Bless other people. But become a people of blessing. However you get there, whatever you decide, go have some really hard conversations. God is watching. He's writing it down. He's taking note and he wants to bless your socks off. That's why he goes on in Malachi 3 and he says this. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruits before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, God says, if you put me first, I'll take care of your needs. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter five and six, 
If you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, I will take care of all those other things. I'll make sure you have all your food to eat. I'll make sure you have your clothes to wear. I'll make sure that you have a roof over your head. I'll make sure your needs are met if you put me first. Which is why I think Jesus brings up that widow with her two small coins and celebrates it. I think he brings her up and he's like, and the question lingers on her mind, but did she go home and eat that day? And I think Jesus is like, well, what do you think? Didn't I always tell you if you take care of me, I'll take care of you? Didn't I always say that? Now, years ago, I had one story, one story from a Kingsway person who came to me and said, Pastor, I tithe on a regular basis, but I am barely making it financially. I said, well, let's talk about it. So we sat down and we went through their budget and they were not managing the other 90%. They were magically hoping by giving a tithe that, that everything would just magically work out. You still have to strategize and plan and think about what you're going to do. You can't just go buy a bigger house and say, but I tithe. God said he'd take care of me. That's not what God's saying. And this particular person was spending upside down. They were in so much debt and constantly taking on more because they'd never reined in the greed. Again, we're extending generosity and reining in greed. That's the end game. It's not extending greed by extending generosity. That's not the end game. We're reining in greed by extending generosity. Does that make sense? All right, so here's what we do in our new member classes. Some of you have seen this. We just say, hey, just think about wherever you are and think about what it would mean to go to the next step. So we got this little process. It looks prettier in our, in our new member classes, but in case you're an old member or in case you've been here a long time, you've never taken this, we say, look, you gotta start somewhere. And where everybody starts is we give to a cause or to a one-time request. This might be us standing up, talking about Dollar Club or whatever it is, and you go, man, that sounds awesome. I wanna take part in that. Here's 20 bucks, here's 50 bucks, here's 1,000 bucks, whatever you might give. It's a one-time thing. And this is great because what it starts to do is get your feet wet, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like when you get up to a swimming pool and you're like, do I wanna do this? Do I not? No, no, that's a little too cold. I'm not sure I wanna do that, right? That's what that first step is. And almost everybody starts there. So if you're there already, the question is not, should I stop there? But how do I go to the next stage? The next stage is really, I would say, for a believer. And a believer, any Christian at this point, should say, you know what? I'm ready for more. I don't just want to give one time or once in a while as something comes up and it gets my heart. I want to commit to giving regularly at Kingsway. Okay, so for us, my wife and I, I don't feel like I need her blessing before I would say the percentage. We give above the tithe here at Kingsway, and then we have a percentage we give above that to other things that we love and, and care about. Friends and missionaries and pastors and ministries and things that we're passionate about. And then we have our gift account on top of that because we started here. What we did is once we got there and it's a part of our life and we were used to it and God was blessing it, we just went to the next step and the next step is going deeper. I'm gonna not just give regularly, I'm actually gonna tithe regularly and then I'm actually gonna give others focused. So I actually give sacrificially. I'm walking through Turkey Run Park the other day, as I told you, Turkey Run State, my Santa Park, anyway, that thing. And my son and I are talking and uh, I've got an opportunity to maybe go to Colorado later this year and be trained with some other pastors in something unique. And I was just like, I don't know if I, if I could fit it in the schedule. I don't know if it's gonna fit the time and the budget and all this stuff. And my son goes, oh, dad, if you go to Colorado, can I go with you? And I'm like, well, buddy, this is like for a pastor thing. It's right after Thanksgiving. I mean, we could maybe, I've got some vacation the week before. Maybe we could go to, go, maybe go to Colorado instead of going on vacation and whatever. I was like, but, you know, we've been saving for our next vacation. We're putting money aside right now for our next vacation so we could pay for it. That would mean draining that account and going to there instead. I'm not sure that we really want to do that. And he was like, 
didn't understand it at all. Like, it didn't make sense. I'm like, I don't understand why we don't have enough money to do all of these things, Dad. Why is there not unlimited funds? And as we're walking and talking, it provided the perfect opportunity. We're out here in the middle of the woods by ourselves to say, look around for a second, bud. Do you see that deer that ran by? See that rabbit that just hopped by? See the birds flying by? Have you noticed that they eat and have all their needs met? Yeah. Isn't it amazing? You had no idea those were even out here today. You assumed they were somewhere. Do you know that God's taking care of them? Yeah. God's taking care of us too. See, the reason we don't have more money to just go do all these fun, playful things is because, remember our friends, the Rivettos? Remember our friends, the Lameros? Remember these missionary friends of ours? One of them is in the Middle East. One of them's in Peru. Yeah, that's because we give to them. So we can't go on all these vacations that we wanna go on because we give to them. Oh, two weeks ago, it was time for my kids to bring their tithe to the church. And when they were, they have this bank account and it's got three compartments. It's got a bank for long-term savings. It's got a store so they can spend it on whatever they want. And then it's got a church compartment. It's just a three-part compartment we bought on Amazon. So every time they get money, we break it down into change for them and they have to put 10% into the God part, 10% into the bank part, and 80% to the store part. That's a pretty good deal for a kid. And it came time to bring in the church part because we're gonna bring it in every time and it's a quarter. Like we let it kind of build up and then we bring it in and they put their money in bags. And my son, who I was walking at the park with, he goes, mom, I have a lot of money in the store to spend on myself. Can I just give more to God? And my little daddy pride thing, I'm sitting in the chair going, that's my son. (laughs) Ironically, he could be paying my salary with it and it'll come right back to him. But anyway... He doesn't know that, so let's not tell him. <laughs> and then his brothers heard it, and they went, can I do that too? Oh, wow. And it was a super cool moment for me because these things that my wife and I have been convicted about and living out for a long time, it's taking hold in their heart. And he literally goes, what else do I need? On the way back from Turkey Run, He's literally showing me these videos. I let him have iPad time in the car. And he's showing me these videos of these things he would like to buy. Oh, he's got desires for things he wants. He just has a greater desire, something he wants more. And it's really, really common for that little guy to be like, can we help them? Can we do something about that? I don't know where you are on this. But if the Spirit is speaking to you right now, maybe it's just time to take the next step, whatever that step is for you. All right, let me close our time out here today. I'm gonna have to skip some of the notes just for time's sake, so you could read these later. But I wanna show you a quick story. So the book of Acts is the story of the early church. Read it later. Right now we're reading it with our elders and the group that we mentor right now. It's been awesome. And in the book of Acts, we see the early church taking hold of people's hearts. And this is one of the passages that tell us what they did. Acts chapter four, verse 32 says this. All the believers were in one heart and mind. They were unified. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So the church is gathering and the church is sharing And the church is a loving community and the apostles are going out and continuing to say, Jesus rose from the dead, we saw it. Jesus rose from the dead, we saw it. The next verse says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. 
There was no needy persons among them. Imagine a church where nobody had a need. I've literally seen people give up their cars to others who had need here. I've been a part of other people here helping pay other people's rent. I've, been, I've watched people here take other people's kids while they went through a season of sickness or, or COVID. Literally heard stories just like this over the last couple of weeks. They weren't overly concerned about their own lives, but said, you know what? This is my brother, my sister in the faith. I will do whatever's necessary to serve them. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. I'll just tell you real quick, our vision as leadership of the church is over the next five years to pay our debt down 75%. And then when that comes, we're gonna keep going past that. And part of the reason we have that vision is we are tired of giving money away that you guys give to the church to debt. We wanna give more money away to ministries and people in need, whether that's all around the world or in our backyard. And so we're aggressively trying to do that, to pay that down. And if that excites you, now's the time to jump on board. The resurrection meant radical transformation for the New Testament church to the point where people no longer said, mine is mine, but mine is yours. Now, with that in mind, what I wanna do is I wanna close us in prayer and I just wanna ask God to speak and move and convict and stir in our hearts Here's what we sometimes find. One spouse is convicted and the other one isn't. Your job, if you're the convicted spouse, is not to attack the other one. Start praying for them. Start praying and strategizing and saying, look, this is where I am. And if they say, absolutely not, keep praying. Ask God to soften their heart. Ask God to open their eyes. Maybe even say, let's test the Lord in this and just see what happens. Let's just take a chance. Maybe nothing happens, but God says, test me in this and see. Let's just see one time. Let's just see one time if we get blessed. And if we do, maybe we should trust him more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a scary thing to put our lives into your hands, but you are a big, active God who cares about us deeply. So Father, my prayer right now is that you would help us to test you in this and see what you might do. God, help us to surrender our hearts. Greed is such a powerful thing. It gets control of us. And Lord, help us to leverage the right things, to take maximum advantage of everything you've given us. It's not an evil thing to have a house or a car. Those are just things. And all those things are gonna stay behind. But every human life we touch, every person we bless, every ministry we come alongside of has the potential to change life for eternity. God, help us to have an eternal perspective about this world. That God, we might partner with you and seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.